Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Just one topic for this week's show, nuclear energy, the emergency in Japan, and the impact on the energy sector in the rest of the world. You're listening to Energy Weekly with me, Sylvia Pfeiffer. I'll start the show today with an update on the latest from Fukushima. We'll then move on to how the nuclear explosions have affected the energy markets. I will say that the energy market at the moment is upside down because of the events in Japan and, of course, also the very supportive uh, events that are happening across the Middle East and, and North Africa and what the situation could mean for the future of nuclear power. This crisis and the decisions that governments are making today, they're going to shape the energy mix and the energy policy and the environmental policy of the planet for the next 40 to 50 years. We'll end the show with you and your comments about the crisis from our blog, Energy Source. We've had a bit of a debate on the blog about whether Chris Hume, the energy secretary, is, is in cahoots with the nuclear industry. Joining me in the studio this week to talk nuclear is David Blair, the FT's energy correspondent. And to talk about the markets, we have the FT's commodities editor, Javier Blas. We'll also be joined later by Karen Stacey, the editor of Energy Source, to tell us about what you've been saying on our blog. I'll start the show with an update as to what's been happening around the world since Wednesday morning. Two big developments. In Japan, helicopter pilots who are attempting to dump water into the overheated fuel storage tank at Fukushima, the nuclear reactor, were forced to abandon the manoeuvre due to high levels of radiation over the plant. And an earlier Tokyo Electric Power, the utility that operates the plant, ordered its crew of 50 engineers who'd, been, who'd remained there in order to try and work inside um, the plant. They ordered them out of the plant after radiation levels jumped. The second big development today is, is further afield from Japan. China announced around lunchtime today that it was stopping or freezing all approvals for new nuclear power reactors pending a safety review. Now, that is very big news for the global nuclear industry as China is the largest builder of new reactors. It's China that had been leading the so-called renaissance of nuclear power. Uh, now, we'll be discussing all of this in the show later on, the impact of this on the energy markets and also what people have been saying on our blog, Energy Source. Uh, but just let me just go back closer to home now, where obviously a lot of the European governments have also already responded to the quake in Japan. Germany yesterday announced that it was withdrawing some of its reactors temporarily, again pending a safety review. And now, David Blair, you've been keeping your eye out on what's been happening in the UK, which has one of the most ambitious new nuclear build programs in Europe. What's Chris Hugh and the Energy Minister been saying? Well, Chris Hune has asked the government's chief nuclear inspector, uh, Dr Mike Waitman, to conduct a report on the lessons, if any, from the Japanese crisis for the UK nuclear programme. Now, this will cover both 
Britain's existing reactors and also the proposals to build new ones. So the recommendations that he comes up with could potentially have an impact on investment decisions for the new build programme. What's the industry been saying? Because obviously they're facing quite a big investment. I mean, any report or review is, is, is likely to come up with possibly additional safety uh, mechanisms that they have to introduce. I mean, the, the costs are inevitably going to rise. Are they sort of worried about delays here? The industry has been saying very little about any of this. The two principal consortia involved in planning for new reactors have each issued rather bland statements welcoming the government's decision to uh, conduct this report and also expressing their dismay over what's happened in Japan. Um, But in terms of the possible impacts on their decision-making, it depends on what Dr. Whiteman comes up with. But as you say, there's a real possibility that he will make additional safety recommendations, which will inevitably be costly to implement. And the cost factor is already uh, pretty pressing, uh, particularly as uniquely in the world, um, the British government, the British New Build Nuclear Programme, is supposed to go ahead without any government support at all. It's entirely to be funded by the private sector. This is already a very big request to make. And if Dr. Whiteman's report makes additional uh, requirements, uh, then that could alter the balance of calculation. What does this mean then for for climate policy in the UK? Because again, most of the sort of developed or governments in developed worlds are backed nuclear power as a sort of clean source, source of clean energy. If we're no no longer going to have new nuclear, then then what what happens to climate policy? This is the great danger that the government faces. If the nuclear new build programme is deferred or set back in any way, then gas-fired power stations will inevitably fill the gap. Uh, And gas, of course, is a fossil fuel. And while it's much cleaner than than coal, for example, it still does involve carbon emissions. So the government's targets for carbon emission reductions risk being blown off course by all this. So the political will behind the new nuclear programme probably won't change. It's the question of whether the economics, which were already looking pretty unfavourable, whether they will be altered. Thanks very much. Uh, let's move on to the energy markets and how they've been affected uh, by the situation in Japan. Um, Javier, what, what's happened to uranium prices since the quake? Prices are absolutely on a free fall. Uh, they have already dropped more than 10% and potentially they are going to move a, a lot more. Prices were trading uh, in February around $75 per pound and the market is already trading at 55 and uh, some traders believe that prices could drop uh, to 50, probably find a floor there. But more more importantly, forecast that the market was going to move into a deficit and prices going to just increase back to the levels of 2008 of $140 per pound now seems absolutely uh, just forgotten for the industry. And the share price of the big miners of uh, uranium, both uh, Cameco in, in Canada and Riva in France, have fallen very, very sharply. So it's a whole rethinking on the commodity markets about what the demand for uranium will be in the next uh, year for sure, but also uh, potentially in the next decades to come. Are there any big projects that were due to come online? I mean, I presume people aren't changing their investment decisions at this stage. I think that the miners are at the moment with a watching eye on... a, the price, and B, what the policy decisions around the world are. It seems that uh, countries, at, at the very least, are taking a, a review that is going to mean a, a delaying projects and potentially more costs, as we were speaking, so that means that some projects are going to be uneconomical and maybe they were not built at all. The main eye of the industry is in China and India. They have big programs coming on on a stream, and that was where the demand for new uranium is, was going to be coming over the next 20 years. The stop on all the development of the nuclear industry in the country, that just could let some miners to rethink what they are going to do.
And LNG has been quite heavily affected as well, hasn't it? I mean, Shell, uh, Simon Henry, the chief financial officer of Shell, was yesterday talking about LNG prices rising on the back of events in Japan. And I spoke to a few analysts this morning, one of them who said um, over the next year or two, the consensus apparently is that up to 5 million tonnes of additional LNG demand could be coming from Japan. Indeed, I will say that the energy market at the moment is upside down because of the events in Japan and, of course, also the very supportive uh, events that are happening across the Middle East and, and North Africa. So uh, Japan nuclear power, it's down about 25%. So Japan, as, as soon as the reconstruction starts and factories come back online, is going to need a lot of additional fuels to uh, make electricity. And they have three alternatives. It could be LNG, liquefied natural gas, it could be thermal coal or it could be a combination of crude oil and fuel oil. Probably the demand of the three uh, is going to increase. We saw in previous events where Japan has nuclear power uh, problems in 2007 and in 2002 that the three alternative energies for generating electricity in Japan increase. And that's having a, a global impact. We have seen prices for natural gas in Europe moving up because it's going to be competition from Japan for extra cargos of LNG, as the analysts were telling you, and Shell mentioned yesterday. And at the same time, we have increased costs on thermal coal because the expectation is that because a some of the utilities in Europe will need more coal uh, as as LNG will go to to Japan, but also the Japan over the long term may need more more thermal coal, and at the same time the electricity costs in Europe were sharply moving earlier this week because of the decision in Germany to shut down at least for three months uh, some of the about tw- between twenty five and a third of the of the country nuclear capacity. We saw the price of electricity for delivery next month in Germany spiking almost at 20%. It's just unheard of. And I'm told that uh, traders were reeling on what was happening on the market. If governments, because of this crisis, decide to stop nuclear power and invest in natural gas or invest in thermal coal, these are investments that are put today and they're going to be in place for 20, 30, 40 years. So it means that this crisis and the decisions that governments are making today, they're going to shape the energy mix of the, and the energy policy and the environmental policy of the planet for the next 40 to 50 years. And the inevitable question, though, who's, so who's going to benefit from this? Again, somebody said to me, this morning that they thought the Qataris are in, in the best situation. You know, they, they could go to Japan and say, we'll, we'll cover the shortfall for you. Absolutely. J- Qatar is the country that potentially is they're going to be benefit the most from the situation. They have extra capacity on LNG. So I think that the prices will be capped because Qatar could increase production of LNG quite significantly. They have uh, uh, two new uh, plants coming on the stream uh, over the last few months and, and Qatar could put a lot of more uh, production into, into the water and, and just ship it to Japan. Obviously, producers of, of thermal coal, Australia, South Africa, Colombia, Russia, they are going to also set to benefit. And in general, uh, I will say that is uh, over the long term, potentially this crisis is a net benefit to the Middle East uh, producers of energy, whatever it is, Middle East and North Africa, whatever it is used, producers of gas such as Algeria or Qatar, or producers of, of oil such as Saudi Arabia and the Emirates. Thanks very much. And finally, Kieran Stacey, the editor of Blog Energy Source, joins us. Um, now, Kieran, what's been going on in terms of the discussions get online? Uh, well, no surprise that it's it's all about nuclear on the blog, or it has been really since the Japan earthquake. The two things that our, our readers are, are talking about, one is the, um, the different attitudes that governments around the world have taken uh, to nuclear power. 
and there's there's clearly a bit of a split developing between China, India, some of the developing economies and Western governments, which are, are being much more cautious on their words about uh, new nuclear uh, in the future. China came out pretty quickly, as as you mentioned, and said, we think we can learn the lessons from Japan and move on as planned. Indeed, they were basically saying this is not a problem for China at the beginning of the crisis. But as we speak now, the State Council has put a statement. They are going to review all the projects. Everything is going to be a stop for the time being, even projects on earlier stages of development. And the Chinese said now that they need to learn from the lesson of this. What this is going to mean, we don't know yet. As far as the UK goes, we've had a bit of a debate on the blog about whether Chris Hume, the energy secretary, is, is in cahoots with the, with the nuclear industry. There's a, a theory that um, this review that's being carried out that David talked about with Mike Waitman is just a bit of a cover and is not really going to change anything at all. And of course, there is good reason for that. You know, Chris Hume has to hit our uh, carbon reduction targets and and sees this as a, as, a, as, a, as a good way to do it. And he said many times in the past he's very reluctant to move towards gas, which, as David mentioned, would be an alternative. But there is a, a very vociferous gas lobby in the UK, and they are vociferous on our blog too. And they're very upset with him. They say there's a gas glut. Uh, prices of natural gas uh, historically are, are quite low, although obviously they're, they're rising at the moment. Uh, and they say that uh, that the UK is, is really missing an opportunity here. Um, and, and they say he's he's effectively been nobbled by by the nuclear industry. And we've got another Q&A coming up next week. Could you just tell us about that? That's right. We've got uh, Francesco Staracci, who's the chief executive of NL Green Power. Uh, you may remember uh, EGP was spun out of NL, the uh, Italian utility, with a huge IPO last year, but nowhere near as big as uh, the company was hoping. So it was trying to list really at a time that was very difficult for the renewables market uh, and the renewables industry. Investors were, were getting spooked by certain governmental changes to uh, to subsidies. They were also still reeling from the financial crisis and uh, investors were shying away. So he's going to be in a, in a good position to talk about how difficult a, a process that was and what the future really is for, for renewables, in particularly in Europe, over the next few years. Because shares and solar companies have soared, haven't they, in recent days um, so he can maybe talk about that so when is this going to go up so we're asking readers to send in questions by sunday and he will respond on the blog next friday thanks very much karen if, if you'd like to have your say do log on and post a comment on energy source and that's all we have time for today all that's left is for me to thank javier blas david blair and kieran stacy in the studio energy weekly is produced by lj filotrani i'm sylvia pfeiffer until next week goodbye for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.